0: You're listening to the GameStreet.biz microcast, recorded on Tuesday the 13th of June 2023. I'm James Batchelor, and today I'm joined by...
1: Brendan Sinclair.
0: And we are going to be talking about the last of the big showcases from the Summer game showcases, the Not E3, whatever you want to refer to this week, and a particularly big breaking story that we uh, covered this morning. First of all, let's tackle the Ubisoft. Uh, so this happened last night. This is the finale in our trilogy of morning after microcasts. Um, The big hitters at Ubisoft were... We finally got an in-depth look at Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is due on December 7th. Um, So that's the first time we've been given the release date for that. They went in-depth with the gameplay of Assassin's Creed Mirage, which we know is coming out October 12th. They showed the first deep dive and the first in-game footage of Star Wars Outlaws, which is the massive entertainment-developed Star Wars open-world game, which was teased at the uh, Xbox showcase or the... No, the... uh, Summer Games Fest last week uh, we actually got a full look at it this time um, which is looking promising uh, beyond that the it was kind of very Ubisoft so we had an update on like, this Assassin's Creed VR game, the mobile game we had a bit more in- info on Prince of Persia Lost Crown uh, the Crew Motor Fest is coming out September 14th uh, with a closed beta, beta beforehand there was an update on X Defiant which is the the multiplayer FPS starring various Tom Clancy characters. Uh, Skull and Bones still does not have a release date, but does have another closed beta this August. Um, and then there were kind of crossovers announced for Roller Champions, which is getting Jet Set Radio characters, and Brawlhalla, which is getting Master Chief and the Arbiter from Halo. Uh, that was the bulk of it. Brendan, what were your thoughts kind of on the overall lineup?
1: Okay, I think I want to talk about Captain Laserhawk. A blood dragon remix. I thought you
0: might. I kind of, I kind of left that one for you. So yes,
1: go okay. for it. <laughs> so, I kind of feel for Adi Shankar, who was the guy that came out to to introduce this new Netflix series uh, that they are running. That's he described it as like a mashup of a whole bunch of Ubisoft properties in the. 80s futuristic blood dragon, Far Cry blood dragon sort of universe, and he wants to to have a very 90s vibe, which is kind of weird considering the blood dragon 80s and all the Ubisoft properties that they're using are more from like the 2000s and the 2010s. But it was it was, it was just it was a classic E3 conference moment because it was it was. <laughs> awkward the thing that they showed was kind of misjudged and uninteresting like when ubisoft had their battle tag laser tag toys uh, a decade or so oh, ago gosh i forgot about uh, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah and shankar actually when he came out he was dressed as if it were they were bringing back ubisoft battle tag so for a second i was really hopeful about that um <laughs> But no, no, like, and, and it would have been fine. It would have been fine if they had just had him come out, race through what he said in about a quarter of the time instead of waiting for applause after every line. Um, and, and then just showed the thing, which, frankly, I didn't think looked very interesting. But man, did that, that stuck out so much for me. Which is weird because they showed all this stuff that's like, you know, these are huge games for them. You know, Star Wars Outlaws were... We're back to cover-based shooters now, apparently, um, and and Avatar, which reminded me of another Ubisoft film adaptation, Peter Jackson's King Kong, where it's like you know, here's here's first-person view, uh, action adventure, and and I I don't know, like uh, Avatar is kind of lost on me, anyways, and yeah. like I have no faith in Ubisoft to tell what is. Pretty clearly to me, seems like a, a residential school uh, backstory for for the the main Navi characters in this, because um, that's an awful, you know, genocide uh, that that needs to be kind of reckoned with uh, in a sensitive sort of way, and it's not what I would expect from, you know. The company that insists its games aren't political Uh, prince of persia lost crown looks great that's that's totally my jam uh skull and bones like they announced a closed beta and the devs on this thing must feel you know like the cursed crew of the black pearl doomed to forever (laughs) sail the seas and never actually reach their destination um and on a human level that's you know the horrible but on a comedic level, you know, I think it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, like that was, I don't know, that was, that was a pretty good Ubisoft show all in all. Like I, I feel like it's, you know, Microsoft's show was solid. The Summer Game Fest had some good stuff. Like apart from the lack of Sony and Nintendo like this, you know, it's been a pretty good not E3. Oh, one more thing I want mm. to talk about: um, Capcom had their their show last night, and Dragon's Dogma Two looks great, uh, and Kunitsugami Path of the Goddess, which um, they had also shown earlier in the week. Like that's that looks like a very Capcom game for people who don't like their heroes or their bad guys to have faces. It's it looks cool though, you know. Like there was stuff. There was there was good stuff. Uh, this year. There was
0: stuff yeah like it's last night's Ubisoft thing was a another reminder of how this is an E3 but not in the like it ticked all the boxes of what you'd expect at a Ubisoft E3 press conference you know opening with a Just Dance like people you know actual people dancing to remind you there's another Just Dance coming out the cringeworthy moment of someone who clearly thinks this thing that they're talking about is bigger than it actually is um, ending with the big, let's get all the Ubisoft developers and speakers up on the stage and applaud each other, like that bit, like that lovely, you know, here's the big team moment. Like, it did feel, I think the trouble was, like, obviously because it's not E3, because it's a smaller scale, like, they're in this weird, dark studio rather than like a massive theatre. I imagine if Shankar had been talking to, like, the, the huge theatre they usually hire out in downtown LA, maybe his... Intro would have been a little less cringeworthy, and have actually been a bit well, uh, slightly better, better received. We'll see, um, but no, it, it showed that Ubisoft still has got a a solid lineup. Like, as much as they focus a lot on kind of live service games, increasingly with things like X Defiance. Um, yeah, there was new new information on things like For Honor, Brawlhalla. Honestly, I keep forgetting it is a thing, but that is obviously doing well enough to keep going. Um, like for all those, they're still doing like the good mix of live service and then the big AAA titles, and yet yeah, the big AAA titles look very kind of Ubisoft. Like the going back to Avatar, I think we were debating in the team. Like we're trying to remember if the Navi actually used guns in the films. I confess, I've only seen the first one, but I'm pretty sure they only used bows and arrows and stuff. But it's very very video gamey to give this kind of very kind of nature centric alien race that. You know, prides itself on you know bonding with creatures and using like bows and arrows made from natural resources and so forth, and then giving them like mini guns.
1: That's just very, very video game. That's out. that's the big payoff, right? It's like you know, we're gonna start you with the the sticks and the spears and stones and like really crude weapons, and then you know, if you're good, the reward will be that you get to use the weapons of the colonizer because that's what we all. You know, want and think is cool because that's what we've all. I I just I. I, I <laughs> and that's
0: that's what makes for better trailers when you're promoting the game.
1: No, it's it's like there's, and it, it's I'm getting back to not having faith in Ubisoft here because like that's that's a really like, kind of, uh, superficial, reading, of what's going on there, but like that's mostly informed from a history of you know playing AAA games and and. You know, seeing seeing these these hooks used to draw people in because it's like, oh, well, this is a compelling premise for a story. And then having, you know, like, no, no, we're just going around shooting and killing stuff and and not having, you know, much uh, depth below the surface there to the point that we're, you know, I'm so trained on that. Um, I'm totally open to the idea that like there are more uh, more substantial narrative efforts going in under the surface here that that I am just completely oblivious to because I have come up through this and not been trained to be media literate by video games that are aspiring to do things. So I'm stuck just trying to apply, you know, whatever basic literacy I have from other media uh to to video games and and that's not always going to work because games are different. They're interactive. They can they can make points in different ways.
0: Yeah, and like, and even things like yeah, you know, the lewd narrative dissonance plays in here, doesn't it? Like most most stories, most conflicts, like there's a limited number of of people a character will go up against. Whereas a video game, you need lots of enemies. Otherwise, there's less combat, which makes it that that just it's a a shallower. Game loop, I guess this is a, this is conversation for a much much longer podcast which we don't have. um I, I would just finish on like I was intrigued to see James Cameron actually be there to kind of introduce it, albeit on screen with a pre recorded video. I know um, I would be intrigued to know how much or more likely how little contribution he had to the actual game. Like I can't imagine he's sitting there writing the script, but you know, is he aware of the story? Is he aware of the content? Like this is his world, this is his IP. I'm intrigued to to know how much involvement he had. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, hopefully we find out later. One one more one last thing about that though. Uh James Cameron when when he announced the original uh Avatar Ubisoft game, like he went to E3 and he appeared on stage and he said nothing over the course of like 10 agonizing minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, was, it, it was it was it was the, the previous you know it was that year's like wow this is this is awful and interminable and and maybe that's why they did a pre-recorded thing this year not because <laughs> they couldn't get jim cameron but just because they were like you know that wasn't great okay microcast let's move on
0: let's move on well I, wrapping up the ubisoft stuff just on a, on a more positive note and i'm trying my damnedest to remain professional star wars outlaws looks really promising um i think as a as a video game, yes, it's yet another car for shooter. But to see a game dive into the kind of the Han Solo style scoundrel, rather than going with the usual, it must be a big shooter battle, or it must be Jedi, or it must be dogfighting. To actually see something dive into a different part of the universe, I think it's very promising. And uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage, for all they've kind of built it up that it's going to return to the series roots, that gameplay demo looks like. It does. Like, like, it recently got announced that um, there's going to be a filter, a color filter on it, so you can make it look like the two thousand and seven game with the kind of very pale whites and blues. I think if you were watching Mirage with that, you would, yeah, you would believe it's basically a, an Assassin's Creed remake. Which I'm surprised this isn't. Elsewhere in the news uh, this morning, news broke that Embracer Group has announced a restructuring program. Um, they have said essentially, and I'm, I'm in danger of kind of oversimplifying this, but this, this is a microcast. They're attempting to reduce their financial net debt. They want to transform from, uh, how they've put it, a heavy investment mode style company to a highly cash flow generative business. And what that boils down to is they're going to be closing some studios. There are going to be layoffs, but they, it's too early to give an exact uh, forecast, according to CEO Lars Wingerfors. They're going to be cancelling some projects, projects that are either not projected to do particularly well or just aren't coming together nicely. We have no idea of the full extent what this is going to be. We're not going to for a while. But given the size of Embracer, given the rate at which it has grown, this is, to put it mildly, concerning.
1: Yeah, and it's it's not surprising at all and I'm I'm assuming they they kind of knew when they were acquiring you know like literally 100 studios over the course of a few years they knew that this was the eventual result of it um that they were they were gonna have to eventually just kind of like cut staff close studios shutter you know shut down projects and and actually trim the company to you know something maybe it hopes to be a sustainable size just because you, you you can't like i guess the the what they told us at the time was like oh well we're gonna let these companies run independently and they're they're all you know or most of them anyways are like profitable as is so if we just let them keep going then they'll be profitable still and we'll make money and it'll all be great don't worry about it um but i i I don't think that it was realistic to to expect a hundred some game developers, even if they were profitable, to to continue running profits year after year. Um, I, I can't imagine doing proper due diligence on that many uh, acquisitions in that short a time span, and and I, I I just I just think like this is kind of like the the natural outcome of that and probably something that they understood was a very real possibility and that they were okay with um because now you know when they shutter the studios and once they you know swallow whatever restructuring fees they they deal with here like they're still left with a massive massive ip catalog and a lot of it might be you know indie games from studios that weren't huge but we're profitable and now, you know, they're going to they're going to be able to keep selling those games on Steam in perpetuity and collect all the money from it but then they don't have to pay the employees of those studios that they shut down. You know, so there's there's no pesky costs associated with that. And IP is such a significant part of the games business especially when you know you you need to draw attention to a new game if it's not part of a franchise that becomes a a huge uphill battle that that i just think you know embracer looked at acquiring these companies as a a solid ip investment in the longer term and you know if if that means that we run into a wall at some point when the unlimited interest-free funding uh era runs out then you know eh? lay some people off shut down some studios keep the franchises doing okay
0: Mm. the thing is as you said like they own they own so much ip and they produce like a, a solid number of games across all their different operating studios but the number of the games that have been particularly big hits is minimal like, you know, they they said today in the, you know, CEO Lars Wingerfors in his open letter today said that, you know, Embracer currently engages close to 17,000 people, um, which is going to be lower by the end of the year. Um, but obviously not saying how much lower. 17,000 people, like the, the, the figure that instantly, the company that instantly leaps to mind, keeping this kind of full circle with the uh, microcast is Ubisoft. Ubisoft has got about 20,000 people. The difference is Ubisoft has titles like Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, Rainbow Six, like big, big hits, and you know, and games that are that provide that kind of you know recurrent com- consumer spending that uh, companies are so keen on these days. Like, whereas you're right, like Embracer has the nice trickle of back catalogue sales as and when like things are on you know heavily discounted and so forth, or like you know people who are just particularly keen to go back and buy old games that they've they've purchased, but they've got nothing even close. To the scale of a Ubisoft, of a Take Two, of an EA, etc., they've just—they're not even—they have some stuff through Koch Media and oh sorry, Play On now, Play On and Deep Silver with things like Saints Row and the Metro games. But even then, like you know, the the rebooted Saints Row last year didn't meet expectations; wasn't a as big a seller as they hoped. And then the additional context of this is, and we don't know the full impact of this, is they had that two billion dollar. Deal, or rather that deal that was worth at least $2 billion in terms of uh, contracted development costs that fell apart at the last minute uh, when it released its financials last month. And they were banking on that, like they actually factored that into their forecasts. So I think they've just, yeah, they've, they've reached their limit in terms of how far they can go as they, as they have been operating. Um, and you're right. Yeah, you know, like the, the pace of acquisition, like the amount of times they'd be announcing, we've you know, we've acquired another thirteen studios in one hit, or at least within the space of a few months. Like, it's. I think a lot of people saw this sort of thing coming. Like, I've already seen someone use the analogy of oh, um, you have to prune, you have to prune prune a few branches in order for the fruit to grow, like. And I get that. I get the analogy of, well, the tree... You know, the, the, the embracer tree or bush has grown so large that you need to prune it back for in order for stuff to grow. But the trouble is you're talking about the human cost here. Like, I, of those 17,000 people, how many are going to be affected? How many studios are going to close? How many people, as you say, are going to be missing out? Basically... As you say, like the the money that was going to those people for, for the games they've created and published, they're now not going to be benefiting that's going straight to Embracer while it focuses on other things. I'm just I'm intrigued to see what what happens with the future because they Embracer has always been a very kind of interesting company in terms of the number of IP it owns, the number of studios it owns, the number of ta- the amount of talent there. But its success has never matched its scale, and I don't know. I'm intrigued to see how a restructuring will. Address that,
1: yeah. So, like, if you if you look at just headcount, they're they're saying like seventeen thousand, right? And I just looked up Activision's headcount uh, from their last annual report, and they had thirteen thousand employees across the entire business. Yeah. EA had twelve thousand nine hundred. Like, and and they are they are both far far bigger companies than an embracer in terms of, like, the revenue that they do. Um, and Ubisoft is, is kind of a similar problem. They've got, like, closer to 20,000 employees, but do a fraction of the revenue that um, Electronic Arts and Activision Blizzard do. Uh, and and it, it's just, I'm not advocating, like, hey, you can't have that many, uh, you know, pay that many people, but like there there was clearly something out of whack here, I think, when you when you compare like the most successful businesses uh in, in gaming and how how aggressively and how, how far they have grown uh, in trying to maintain their success. And, and and Embracer just never never showed any concern for that. They just bought and bought and bought and bought and you know, this this was kind of obvious, inevitable outcome.
0: Well, we will keep you posted as we learn more of Embraces Restructuring. Um that is it for today. Uh thank you so much for joining us. Uh we will be back next week with a full-length episode where we we're going to be discussing some of the lesser talked about games, uh, kind of picks from the indie showcases and other titles that we think you Oughts to be paying attention to, uh, because it's it yeah the not E three stuff always gets drowned out by the big AAA nonsense, um, as evidenced by our microcasts about Summer Game First, Xbox, and Ubisoft. But we will be discussing other games and you know the 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 wider event in general on a podcast next week. In the meantime, you can keep up with all the news from this weekend and all the news from the games industry at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you very much for joining us.